You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I'm I'm the next up after this this next trip to Galveston, and so I'm already looking. I'm online and, and trying to figure out what's the the, the next adventure for us for, for us and. Um, you know, I've got a couple ideas, uh, you know, I'd like to do the bone trip again, uh, just maybe some more different, um, just because it was, it was such a unique experience. And I'll tell you what, when you hook one of those bones, it's, it's fantastic. Um, but you know, I've got some other ideas, maybe, uh, maybe we'll head up to Alaska and, and do some fishing up there or, hmm. uh, and sometimes it's staying local and, and you're right. We always go to the same old, same old because they're comfortable. Um, you, you know, what's going to work there and. And that's a lot of what we typically do. Our, our group, we we've got a you know a few favorite spots that we go to, and we'll go either you know river fishing or go sit in our V boat and kick around a lake. And and uh, that's to me is as much fun as going on these big trips. The mm-hmm. big trips are, I think, as much about getting out with your buddies and and getting away and and just kind of decompressing from our our busy lives. Uh, and um, you know, just having some fun and and trying something a little bit different. But uh, I, I think the local fishing here in, in BC is is world class too, right? You just you, you can't beat it. The Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast is powered by theflycrate.com, your source for all things fly fishing. And wait for it films for action packed fly fishing videos and camera related content. Check out Wait for It Films on YouTube. Based out of British Columbia, Wait For It Films can also be found on the web at www.thewaitcreativeco.com. Get ready for the 2023 fly fishing season with the Fly Crate. We have hundreds of trout, bass, panfish, and saltwater flies, ranging from the classic elk hair caddis to jigged Euro nymphs. Join thousands of other fly anglers who fish with the Fly Crate. Listeners of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast get 10% off their first order, plus receive free shipping on all U.S. orders over $45. Order today. Go to www.theflycrate.com and use the promo code FLYFISH97 to save 10%. Thanks so much for joining us this time around. Uh, it's Mark here at the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. We're going to take you to the water. We always do each and every week. We find out a guest that's passionate in the fly fishing space and uh, kind of get to know their story a little bit, kind of uh, what brings them to the water, why do we do what we do. And we're going to head out to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. We've got Mark Billard on the line. Mark's in the finance world by day. Uh, but likes chasing a lot of fins, and uh, we're going to talk all things uh, bonefish, Molokai, if that doesn't sound good, and maybe talk about some upcoming trips he's got. Uh, Mark, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. Hey, Mark. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here and, and uh, always happy to talk about being outdoors and, and, and uh, certainly fishing. So... I, I like to talk influences right out of the start, kind of get to know your story a little bit. So when did you first start fly fishing? When did it show up in the scene for you? Yeah, so I didn't start fly fishing until my, I want to say my late teens, early 20s. Um, really had no exposure as a young man or a young boy, actually. Uh, um, I grew up in uh, the prairies, a uh, small town in Saskatchewan, and, and grew up lake fishing. Uh, and did a lot of lake fishing. Uh, my parents had a 
had a cabin out at the lake and we were out there every single weekend and and I would be out there soaking line from sun up to sundown just loved being out on the water and um in my it was be in the late 80s I uh moved to the mountains I was living in the uh Rockies in Alberta and uh met a guy who uh had been fly fishing for quite some time and and uh said hey let's go out fly fishing and I had no idea um and uh, so I went down to the local shop and bought a cheap uh um kit and and uh, uh you know didn't know what I was fishing with just said you know give me some flies that work here locally and mm-hmm. and we went out um and that was kind of my first experience and couldn't cast to save my life <laughs> hasn't changed much. I still can't, but, uh, um, certainly, uh, fell in love with it just being out there. And it was, it was stream fishing. We weren't doing any, any, uh, lake fishing. We were just, um, going up in the mountains and we'd go on a hike with our, with our pack and our rod and see if we could find a little spot where we could do a little casting and see if we could catch something. And, and, uh, my first trip out, I caught a couple of little rainbows, just small guys. And from that point I was hooked. Mm. Yeah, I love it. And and when you have success like that, you're in beautiful places. It, it's kind of a it's a familiar story to a lot of us. It, who who would you cite as influences? So like, did you have somebody kind of showing you the ropes, or you kind of self taught? What what does that look like in your case? Yeah, no, I'd say I'm mostly self taught, and then probably like a lot of us, the internet. You know, um, watching a lot of uh, videos on the internet and, and, uh, you know, my fishing influences have been my growing up would have been in my, my dad and my grandpa, but, uh, you know, they, they've, they're not fly fishermen. So, uh, my friend that, uh, that introduced me was, was an early influence and, and then along the way, mostly, uh, mostly friends. And then I would say a lot of the guides, you know, when we go on a trip, uh, and we have a guide, you know, I, I would say I've learned more from the guides, uh, than anyone, um, you know, and, and usually it's, uh, local knowledge, um, you know, about, you know, how they're fishing the, the lakes or the streams, you know, what they're using for flies and, and, you know, where the hot spots are in the hot times. And so I would say that, you know, between the internet and the guides, those would be my, my biggest, uh, influences and, and where I've, I've learned the most, um, you know, in particular, uh, before we went on this, uh, Bone fishing trip to Molokai. We, I don't know if you're familiar with Matt Sharp from uh, Pacific Angler. Um, it's a shop in no Vancouver. Yeah. 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 And he's, he's fantastic. You know, I you know, definitely want to give a shout out to him because before our trip, we, we did a little boot camp with him so he could teach us about some of the nuances of, of uh, bone fishing in, in uh, Molokai. And glad we did. You know, there was uh, a lot we learned that, that turned what probably could have been a really frustrating trip into into a successful trip and and uh so you know I'd, I'd definitely say he's you know been a really big influence on on my uh my fishing fly fishing career as well yeah that's a great shot i love it um full disclosure so we ran into uh, a good friend of mark's at the uh, the bc outdoor show this uh, about a month ago and uh it was his name was dom dominic uh rubino he's got a podcast called the profit tool belt podcast and he said hey uh, you got to talk to my buddy mark we just uh, did this amazing trip to molokai and every year it sounds like well there's four of you that kind of you know trade out who's kind of picking where you go walk us through that i'm really curious about that i think that's pretty cool to have those kind of traditions in a in a fishing group yeah for sure um so 
the four well there was three three of us that are local here in vancouver and and one of the others uh, the other of the four is is out of calgary and so the three of us we we were able to get together and, and go out for day trips and short little weekend trips here locally you know a lot of fishing up around uh, pemberton and in, in that area and and over to the island and a little bit to the interior and and so we were getting together a lot and and one year, Dom uh, invited his buddy from Calgary out, and and um, we got together and and uh, did a, a weekend trip. Um, did some uh, some lake fishing. Tried to do some river fishing, but it was at that time of the year the rivers were pretty blowing out. So, um, and that was kind of the genesis where we we uh, we all got together and we had such a good time, and we decided that this needed to be an annual thing. So. Their tradition was born and and each year it's we each take a turn planning a trip and at the end of of the yearly trip the the uh gentleman whose turn it is to plan will announce where we're going and and um you know we all have to go so you know the, the trip could be to to new caledonia if, if that was a spot and we'd all have to to figure out how we're going to get there so uh, last year we were fishing, we were salmon fishing off the coast of Vancouver Island uh, for our annual trip. And, and at the end of the trip, Dom said, hey, let's go, uh, let's go to Molokai and we're going to go bone fishing. And you know, to be honest, I'd, I really wasn't familiar with um, bone fishing and, and knew of Molokai. I'd been to Hawaii many times. And so that's where, where that uh, adventure began. And, and um, yeah, it was well worth it you know it, mm. it was such a good time what, what what was the reaction from the group when you're out there on the ocean and you throw molokai out there <laughs> there's worse places to go yeah yeah no kidding like everybody was pretty excited it's like you know we've we've fished in some pretty miserable weather and and you know you're cold and or out there on you know for ocean fishing you're out there on on rough seas and and uh so the idea of of going somewhere tropical and warm was was certainly <laughs> uh, was very appealing that's for sure <laughs> yeah i love it so how many years has this been going on is this a relatively new tradition or has it been a few years now yeah we're i think this next trip coming up is going to be our seventh year <laughs> okay so who picked who picked this one and and where so, are you going yeah so there's there's four guys in the group there's dom who you had mentioned myself uh um marty park who's out of calgary and martin hunter um and uh, this year, it's uh, Martin Hunter's uh, turn to pick, and he picked uh, Galveston, Texas. Nice. And we're going to go down there, and we're going to fish, fly fish for redfish, among other things, you know, whatever else, whatever we're going to catch. But that's kind of the primary target target when we go down there. So it, normally, is it? I would assume you'd probably want to be hiring guides on on these trips because it's kind of you know it's not like anyone's familiar with the waters or probably has some of the gear you need. What does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we, we usually do fully guided. Um, even when we're local here, uh, when we go on our guys trip, we want to, you know, make sure that um, we have the best time possible and, and, and have somebody that's got, you know, some, some local honey holes and, and local knowledge and, and uh, it's, it's well worth it. You know, we sometimes bring our own gear or, you know, like for example, this case where we went to Molokai, we, we didn't, they, they supplied everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it'll be the same when we go to Galveston, we want to make sure that, you know, we're again, the, the nuances of, of every different fishing location, you, you want to give yourself the best chance to, yeah to catch you know it's it's fishing but we like to catch too sometimes so so yeah well the, the guiding is usually a big part of it so let, let's walk through this this past trip 
um, to, to actually was it the last one, Molokai? Yes, last, that was last year. So walk us through that. First off, I mean, I guess I probably was aware that there's bonefish in the islands, but not. I mean, I is nothing that I really know anything about. So um, first off, describe that fishery. What is it like? And uh, I can't. I, it's such a beautiful part of the world. It must have been uh, pretty breathtaking scenery, I would imagine. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Molokai, I guess, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of, you know, the local shops here and even talking to Matt, Matt Sharp, uh, you know, it, it's, I guess, described as kind of the Olympics of bone fishing. It's not super well known because it's not a really, I guess, big fishery where you can, it's, there's not a lot, they're not plentiful, but they're big um and but they're really hard to catch uh you know bonefish are typically very elusive to begin with and really shy uh, easy to spook and and so uh you know it's it's not like you know going to belize or or um you know the bahamas or something like that where mm-hmm. you know or cuba where they're really plentiful so uh molokai is you know it's a smaller island in between um, maui and and uh oahu about a half hour flight on a cessna caravan uh, very, um, it's not touristy at all. It's, it's, uh, pretty rustic. Um, and, uh, it's, it's not resorty, you know? Um, mm-hmm. so people that are going there are typically, typically going there, um, for hunting or for, for fishing or because they have a place there. And, and um, <clears throat> but it's a, it's a great little town. Uh, and we went with, um, a guide there. Um, if your listeners get a chance to check out, uh, hallelujah, ho, uh, fishing, um, captain clay, um, and his, his son and his grandson are the guides. Uh, and they've been guiding there for, I want to say probably about 40 or 50 years. <clears throat> so, um, it's, uh, for people who aren't familiar with bone fishing, you're it's, it's, sight fishing it's it's not blind casting you're not you know trolling you're not chronomid fishing where you're you know just uh, sitting and waiting it's, it's uh actively either walking through the flats you know, little grass and through water that's anywhere from ankle deep to you know maybe mid-thigh uh, or they're pulling with a boat through the flats and you're looking to spot the bonefish um and it's a really challenging thing. Like it's incredibly frustrating because you know the, you, you get out there with the guides and they have an eye for it already. They can see it and they're saying, "Okay, there's one there." You're like, "Where is it?" You know, it's 80 feet out, and you you can't see it. And if you can't see it, you can't cast to it. You uh, you have to be able to present the fly in a very specific spot in order to get them to take. Um, so you know, it's it's uh, it's very unique. It's you know, I guess it's similar to maybe river fishing where you're you're maybe uh, working your way down a river and and looking for little pools and spots and honey holes where you can mm-hmm. you know where you think the fish are going to be <clears throat> but there's really no blind casting so there would be periods where we'd be you know you'd walk for you know an hour or more without seeing a fish or making a cast um but uh it's you know it it, it was it's so um it was so much fun it's so much like i guess hunting you know you're, you're yeah. looking for for your catch and and then when you finally do see one it's it's you know then you're you're standing you know depending on the direction of the wind and the wind can howl through there pretty good you, and being able to place your cast and most of the time you don't have to cast far you know it could be a 20 foot cast a 30 foot cast 
Um, but you have to get it right. And if you don't get it right, uh, they're, they're not interested or, or you spook them and they're gone. Was this your first time bone fishing or have you done that elsewhere? No, it was my first time. Wow. I was a complete, uh, complete novice. So what was that first take like? Like the, that's what I want to know. Like, because anybody I've talked to that has, uh, spent any time fly fishing for bonefish, the, apparently the runs are just ridiculously crazy and yeah. i would imagine when you're talking big fish but walk us through that first time like kind of paint us a picture of that first cast where you thought mm, i think i might have a chance here yeah we we uh we were standing there with the guide and he had spotted a bone about 80 feet out and he was pointing it out to myself and dom and he's saying you know where is it or i saying where is it? he's right there and it's where is it and um you eventually get to the point where you point your rod out and you say, you know, left or right. So you can kind of get an idea of where he's seeing it. And, and, uh, he said, it's coming towards us. It's coming towards us. And it was probably about 20 feet in front of me before I finally spotted it. Um, and, uh, so I put my cast in just one cast, perfect position. And they kind of, in shallow water, you can see them tail. Their tail will come up and you can see their dorsal fin out of the water. And what they do is they feed on the shrimp and the crab on the on the bottom. And uh, so usually when they go to take, you'll see their tail come up. And, and I saw his tail come up, but there was, there was nothing. I didn't feel anything. And it's not like, you know, where, you know, uh, like say uh, uh, you catch a, a trout, you know, as soon as they get pricked, they're, they're you know they're they're gone or they and you've got to do a big set uh, with these fish it's they're very it's a very soft take they don't have any teeth they've got a crusher plate at the back of their throat and and so they ingest the fly and so it's kind of like a very slow strip and maybe a step or two back to try and get them to take and i didn't think he was on um and uh, the guide said he was on, and I didn't realize it. And and then uh, when when the bone did finally realize he was hooked, yeah, he took off. And um, I would say he almost spooled me. He probably took me. There's probably about 250 yards of backing plus the line, so he took <laughs> me to within about 25 yards of the end. Wow. Uh, and yeah, just went, and your reel is just screaming. <laughs> Uh, you know, and it's just, it's so exhilarating, you know, it's, and I'm sure you've experienced it if you're catching a, you know, a big, you know, what a steelhead or a salmon or whatever it might be when they, when they get racing, it's, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, it's, there's, there's nothing better. Yeah. It's, that's amazing. So, and what kind of patterns were you throwing? Were you throwing like shrimp patterns or, uh, walk us through the, the types of flies that, uh, you got set up with? Yeah, exactly. So it was a shrimp, um, you know, and, and we were having, it's funny, we were having this conversation before we went, we were talking about, you know, what kind of patterns there'd be. And, you know, we were all kind of joking and they said, the guy's likely going to have two flies and that's all he's going to have. And this is what works. And that's exactly what the case was. And so we were with Captain Clay's uh, son, Josiah, uh, when, when, uh, when I caught my first bone and uh, Captain Clay had given Josiah a new, new pattern that he had had tied. And, you know, he said, try this, it's going to work. And, and, Josiah said, yeah, okay, thanks. You know, I'll, I'll use that uh, dad. And we went on our way. And so there was four of us with two boats and we kind of separated and, and, uh, Josiah just put it in his pocket. He says, yeah, I'm not using that. I've got this, this works. And, and sure enough, it was just a little shrimp pattern. And, uh, um, you know, he's, he's used it for years and it's always what works. And, and, and it did again this time. I, 
there, I mean, there are guide flies, right? And then there's commercial patterns. And I think you're right. Like, I think as anglers, and this comes up on the show a fair bit, we really overthink the heck out of this. But when you have something that you know works, maybe yeah. a slight variation on a the theme. But when you said basically a couple patterns, and I, that really resonates with me. And it, it makes me think uh, maybe I need to simplify some of my boxes. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same. You know, you've got so much, you, you go down to the local shop and you, you see all these pretty flies and you say, Oh, I'm going to try this. This is going to be great. And, and you try it once or twice and we'll, you almost always go back to what you know works. Yeah. And, exactly. uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I always think it's, there's a lot of fly fishermen that I find are very scientific and they're great at it and they study it. And, and I'm more of kind of a, a feel, you know, it's, I, I get to the lake and I just got a feeling of what's going to work that day. And if that doesn't yeah. work, I got maybe two other patterns that I use. And one of those three is usually going to be, be successful for me. Well, and, and if you don't believe in it, there's no sense in putting it on the end of your rod, right? It's like, exactly. Yeah. Are, are you a, a fly tire, Mark? I'm not. Um, you know, maybe one day I will. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I've got uh, a young son, and he's now just getting to the age where um, I can take him out fly fishing. He, you know, he loves to fish, um, but most of what he does is spin cast and, and jigging and whatnot. And and so uh, time's precious. So I, I, I've always thought that the amount of time I spend tying is time I'm missing from being on the lake. So yeah. um, I just kind of rely on on the local the local shops and the, the guys in the local shops to give me give me their suggestions and I'll buy and load up and support the, the local shop as much as I can. So how many days were you in Molokai on this trip? So it was three days of fishing. Okay. Um, so we were there for five days, so a day in and then a, and a day to leave and, and three full days of fishing. And had you been to specifically Molokai before? Never. No, been to Hawaii many times, um, but I'd never been to Molokai. Walk us through what, what it's like on that island, because I know it's uh, it's got quite a history, and it's it's not... any Anybody I've talked to that has spent any time there says look this is not a tourist trap <laughs> this is this is kind of like the wild west of the hawaiian yeah. islands right yeah it is and it's it's got it's a very small town uh, i think the entire island population is about 7500 people um and so the the main town uh where the where the marina is and you know i'm using air quotes for marina because it's it's really it's not really a marina there's a few boats there but um and every the people there are fantastic uh you know the locals are great uh they know right away you're you're not from there and they want to make you feel welcome and and uh it's a little bit like stepping back in time Hmm. you know it's it's not real modern um, you know, you go into the local bakery there, there's, there's a, a bakery and it's a, it's a world famous bakery. It's one of James Beard award and, and you go there for breakfast and they've got these taro root donuts that you eat that are, oh, they're, they're something from heaven. They're, they're so tasty. And, huh. um, you know, and the, the people are, are just there inviting. Uh, I remember the, the first day we were there and we were standing outside the grocery store we had finished uh, our fishing for the day and, and we were grabbing some supplies and, and this lady walks up and she says to Dom, she says, are you Dom? And he's like, yeah, why? He goes, how do you know me? And she said, oh, uh, you guys aren't from here and you look like fishermen. So I just assumed 
that's who you were because you're renting my my uh, my my townhouse. So, wow. um, you know, and, you know, just yeah. the whole time we were there, even the the one day after fishing, we we didn't have a vehicle and we thought we'd count on you know having a taxi or Uber and and it's really there's a taxi there, but it's it's not really it's not available a lot. And so we ended up, we were walking, it was about two miles from, from town to uh, our rental and we would walk back and forth, uh, hmm. you know, to fishing and for dinner. And uh, the one day after fishing, we were sitting in the local um, bar and grill and talking to the waitress and said, we had to walk back uh, to our, our rental. And she said, well, I'll give you a ride. And, and, you know, we thought, you know, it's just so you, you wouldn't get that in the city where somebody just offer you to, you know, a ride home and it ends up, she rented us her, her, um, forerunner for a couple of days. Wow. Yeah. That is, uh, that sounds like a pretty accommodating place, you know, like, uh, they're just happy to have people and host. It sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you just, you feel like you're, you're right in their community and, mm. and, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time in, in the other, on the other islands and you're there, you're a tourist, right? You're, you're a number. Um, right. and it's, uh, you know, I think they want you to, to experience their life when you're there. They don't want you to be there just to consume. Um, they're happy to have you there and, and participate in their culture. Hmm. Yeah, that's neat. Um, We've got Mark Billard on the line. Uh, Mark is out of Vancouver, BC, and they do this uh, four guys trip, annual trip. Um, and I, I, I love the way that tr- you're giving me some ideas here. I got to admit, because we, I kind of do something similar, but we go back to a lot of the same old, same old. I, I think it sounds like you guys are maybe thinking outside the box a little bit. Like how much do you do a lot of homework on this ahead of time? So if it's your turn to pick Mark, are you going like, okay, let's, I got to go talk to my buddy in the fly shop and rack his brain or, or do some online, you know, research. How do you kind of figure that out? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, I'm, I'm the next up after this, this next trip to Galveston. And so I'm already looking, I'm online and, and trying to figure out what's the, the, the next adventure for us, for, for us. And, um, you know, I've got a couple ideas, uh, you know, I'd like to do the bone trip again, uh, just maybe somewhere different, um, just because it was, it was such a unique experience. And I'll tell you what, when you hook one of those bones, it's, it's fantastic. Um, but you know, I've got some other ideas, maybe, uh, maybe we'll head up to Alaska and, and do some fishing up there. Or, hmm. uh, and sometimes it's staying local and, and you're right. We always go to the same old, same old because they're comfortable um you you know what's going to work there and and that's a lot of what we typically do our, our group we we've got a you know a few favorite spots that we go to and we'll go either you know river fishing or go sit in our v-boat and kick around a lake and and uh that's to me is as much fun as going on these big trips the mm-hmm. big trips are i think as much about getting out with your buddies and, and getting away and, and just kind of decompressing from our, our busy lives. Uh, and, um, you know, just having some fun and, and trying something a little bit different. But, uh, I, I think the local fishing here in, in BC is, is world-class too, right? You just, you, you can't beat it. Yeah, that's a fair comment. I think we don't sometimes realize what we have. And I think, to some degree, no matter where you are on the planet, you know, pretty much everyone can say that. There's usually some pretty good fishing if you look pretty far, uh, you know, like depending on the species and, and the time of year. But 
I, I can totally appreciate the desire to go to a beautiful place like Molokai, though, and chase some fish. How, how big were these bones? Because you, you kind of alluded to the fact that they're not your normal size bonefish. Like, what, what's a decent size bonefish there? Yeah, I'd say, like, from what I, the research I've done in, in most of the other locations and even talking with, with Matt Sharp from Pacific Angler and you know, the locations where he guides to and where they're really plentiful and they're catching, you know, an average is probably about five pounds. Um, Molokai, an average is probably nine, ten pounds. Wow. You know, they're getting, in, they're getting into the double digits fairly frequently. Hmm. Um, and it's there's not a lot of fishing pressure right when when we were out there we were the only ones on the flats it was our, ourselves and, and captain clay and and uh, josiah and then clay's um, grandson uh, maui hmm. and there was nobody else out there we had the flats to ourselves and i would guess that that fishing ground is probably i want to say it's probably 40 kilometers, maybe longer. And, and, um, out from shore, you can probably walk from shore to about 2k out, uh, and stay kind of in those flats of, of it's turtle grass and a little bit of broken coral and, you know, tiny little bit of reef. Hmm. What are you wearing on your feet when you're wading that? Like, are you wearing wading boots? Are you wearing running shoes? What does that look like? Yeah, exactly. We're wearing wading boots. Um, you know, something that goes up the ankle a little bit because, you know, the coral can get up and, and into your, into your boots. And then just, uh, I wore, uh, like a Sims, uh, um, uh, guide sock, um, which was, it was fantastic. Um, because if you're out there and you get that coral in your, in your shoes, it can, it can chew some holes in your feet and make yeah. you pretty miserable. You know, you're, you're probably walking 10, 15 kilometers, um, for a full day. So if you don't have comfortable footwear and the right footwear, uh, it, it'd be pretty miserable. Did you guys take any pack rods on this trip or is this a trip where it's like the guides kind of just going to fully, you know, outfit you? Yeah, no clay outfitted us completely. We didn't bring anything along. Um, you know, we all wanted to kind of pack pretty light so we didn't have to check bags. It's, it's a bit of a nightmare with, with check bags and losing stuff uh, these days on the airlines. So <laughs> he, uh, he had a really nice setup, um, you know, sage rods and reels, all brand new first class stuff. And, and, uh, um, and then again, too, you know, you've got to have the right, the right line and, and the right uh, leader and all that. So we just went with, you know, somebody who was, who had the local knowledge and we figured that would give us the best chance at, uh, um, latching onto one of those elusive bones. What, what kind of rods and, and, you know, what kind of line weights, length of rods, what, what were you guys fishing? So they were, uh, an eight weight with a nine weight, uh, line. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't recall exactly. It's specific for, uh, bone fishing. Um, <clears throat> and then, probably a 15 foot liter. Um, okay. and yeah. Flor- and, uh, floral or, or mono? Yeah. Floral. Yeah. Yep, floral. Um, and you know, you're, again, you're not fishing in deep water, uh, but you are bottom fishing. You're putting that fly on the bottom, um, because that's where the, the bones are, are feeding, you know, they're, they're not feeding anywhere off of the bottom. Hmm. I've heard, um, some analogies to, uh, carp fishing like uh as far as trying to you know when you say they're tailing and 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 you're trying to put it it's very different from trout fishing for the most part isn't it because trout are usually not always but usually looking up 
right? Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you think about, in my experience, trout uh, and even salmon, for that matter, the kind of ambush feeders, you know, especially if you're fishing for them in, a say, a river, they, they sit there and they, they've got their little pool where they, where they uh, hold and wait for the food to come towards them. And whereas the bonefish are, are there, they're foraging, mm-hmm. they're swimming along and they're looking for something on the bottom. Uh, you know, and again, it's primarily either little crab or, or, or shrimp. So, um, and that was really the, the first time I actually was able to spot um, a bonefish was, uh, you know, you could see them tailing. You could see their their tail and their dorsal. And it's really, it looks like a clear piece of plastic. So it's not super easy to see, especially if it's windy. Um, but you, you know, when you do get into those, those shallows and you can see them tailing and they're down there feeding and, and, you know, just gets the heart racing. It's like, okay, if I finally, I finally spotted one. Uh, and so the first time I actually was able to spot one without the guide telling me where it was, uh, was, you know, was exactly that, the, there was a fish tailing and, and, uh, so I saw him and I started casting to him and I probably put six casts to him and he just wasn't interested. Uh, and then, and next thing you know, I'm surrounded. There was probably five around me. Hmm. Um, and we had gone probably four hours without seeing one. Uh, and, uh, it was, it was pretty frustrating. And even at that point, the wind was, was relatively calm. So, you know, it was relatively easy to cast and, and I just being surrounded, I still couldn't get one to take. Um, but you know, at that point it was like, okay, now I can, I felt like I, I, I understand what to look for as far as the tailing fish. Um, and then it was shortly after that, I, I spotted, uh, you know, the, this is my first one I spotted that wasn't tailing. It was under the water and I saw him. And, and again, I put in probably five, six casts. He didn't take and then eventually spooked him and, and, and he took off. So, but that really gave you that frame of reference to sit there and say, okay, that's what, it, what the guides are seeing, you know, cause like right. most fish they're they're kind of camouflaged in with their surroundings. And oh yeah. You're out there walking along and you're seeing lots of stuff. Like there's lots of goat fish and there's uh trevally screaming through there and, and uh, you'll see a lot of fish, but they're, they're not the bones and, and uh, you know, the bones are until you spook them, they're relatively slow moving. They're just kind of meandering along looking for, for that next meal. Speaking of meals. So when, when you're there, I, I just know that sometimes when, when you go to some of these places, it's like, okay, what are we going to do for food day to day? Um, and I assume when you're with the guide, there's probably some sandwiches or some, something to eat, but what did you do? Like, is there a grocery store there or a corner store or farmer's market? Where, you go to restaurants. What did you guys do for, for food when you're in Molokai? Yeah, a little bit of both. So we, we got in and we got in on a Sunday and, and, you know, you're, you're from the city, everything's open all the time. And we just completely slipped our mind that it's Sunday, things probably aren't going to be open in a, in a small town and, and they weren't. So, um, you know, we, we stopped at a kind of a convenience store and stocked up on stuff for breakfast and, and of course our adult beverages that you have to have when you're on your <laughs> fishing trip. And, and uh so it was a combination of both um you know we the first night we we hit a local restaurant it was it was fantastic all the food there was 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 fantastic it was great um you know cooked our own breakfast and and but we we bought a lunch uh, at um you know the local uh, food truck um, or the local bakery and uh and then in the evening we'd go to the local pub or the one night we had a, a fish fry we we uh did a little bit of uh, deep water fishing, mm-hmm. went out and, and caught some 
some local fish and filled the cooler up for for our guide and he gave that to some of the locals and we took home a few for ourselves to have for dinner that night nice it, yeah. so, it sounds like an amazing trip it really does i i want to take some time to get to know you off the water a little bit mark you're ready for a few questions uh i'd like to uh get to know your day-to-day a little bit yeah you bet so when you're now this, this this particular trip might be a little different, but normally if you're headed somewhere in your truck or vehicle to go fishing, what are you listening to on the way there? Uh, a lot of blues, you know, big uh, tragically hip fan. Love classic rock. Um, anything that I can turn up to to drown out the the voice of uh, my buddies singing. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, usually it's usually some good classic rock. One fly pattern that you go to more often than not? Oh, I'd have to say Vampire Leech. Oh, yeah. Um, That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, uh, love uh, still water fishing. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not the guy that can cast 80 feet real well. So, you know, I do a lot of chronomid and, and, uh, and fishing with leeches. And I find that those are usually my, my uh, most productive flies. Yeah, I'm like that too. My casting absolutely sucks, and I know it. I'm <laughs> I'm proud of it. Um, and this is a joke we running joke we have is yeah uh, I'm probably the worst caster of the four of us, but I catch the most fish. So well, well, <laughs> that's interesting you say that. So, but something we didn't talk about on this trip. So, did anybody kind of get skunked on this, or was it like lights out, or was it you know you had to? It sounded like you had to work for the fish. You had to work. Nobody got skunked. Um, but you certainly had to work. Uh, and yeah, so we, we have a little fun. We always have a little contest for the biggest, the most, and the first. So, you know, there's a, you know, little, it's, it's all bragging rights. Who caught the first, who caught the biggest and, and who caught the most. So Hmm. I got first and biggest. Um, so, you know, I want to make sure that, uh, when my buddies, (laughs) when my buddies listen to the, the, the podcast that they, they uh, are reminded of, of that fact. If Dom's listening, that's not true. He's going to call me. You know that. <laughs> right. Well, call Absolutely. your bluff. Um, I love it. Uh, favorite place to talk fly fishing? You might have alluded to this a little bit. It sounds like you got a go-to shop, but where do you get your fix when you're not on the water? Probably YouTube. Okay. You know, I, I've, I've found that uh, there's a lot of great websites out there. Um, I'm a visual guy. Uh, I like to watch you know, what people are, are doing, you know, I've done a lot of reading of a bunch of different websites and, and, uh, but I, I love watching the videos. Um, and you know, it's, it's great to read about, you know, how somebody's doing something or what's working for them. But for me, watching it is, 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 uh, great. And then, yeah, local fly shops, Pacific Angler and, and, uh, Michael and Young, um, you know, are kind of my go-tos. And then, uh, Steveston, not Steveston, um, Name of the fly the fly shop or the fishing shop on uh, Westminster Highway in Richmond eludes me, but uh, it's another a Barry's Bait and Tackle. It's another oh, yeah. great one to go to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right on. Um, are you a sports guy? Uh, if you are, uh, who's your team? Like, who are you pulling for? Is it a hockey thing with you? Is it football um, or something else? Yeah, yeah, huge hockey fan, baseball fan. Um, you know, I I don't know if I want to admit who my hockey team is because you know they've been they've been pretty 
depressing to watch for quite a few years. So uh, certainly a Canucks fan and, and, uh, and then baseball. Um, and I would say my favorite baseball team is, is whatever team my son plays for. He's a avid baseball player. So cool. love to watch him play. Love it. Are you a Jays fan or are you a Mariners fan? Or? Yeah. Jays all the way. Yeah. Uh, they're off to a great start this season. They're, they've got some pretty hot bats. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, pretty exciting team, I think, this year. Well, it has Absolutely. been the past few years. But we seem to say this every year, and it seems to, I don't know, man. I, I, look, I'm yeah. not a huge ball guy, but I, 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 every year my buddies tell me, oh, Jays are going to be good this year. They're going to be good. They are. They are. They've got some fantastic bats. They're just the bullpen's been letting them down a little bit. When you're not on the water um, or researching your next trip, what, what are you usually up to day to day? Uh, apart from work, uh, like to play a little golf, like to, to just be outdoors, hiking, um, being outside, mostly family time, mm-hmm. um, you know, having uh, a young son and, and, uh, you know, and he's really active and, you know, as, as long as he's still interested in hanging around with me, I want to spend as much time with him as I can. So we yeah. go out and just enjoy life and enjoy the outdoors. That's well said. Um, let's talk work. I, I know you're in the finance world. Um, you doing your best gig to date so far and what are you doing? Yeah. So I'm the VP of, and general manager of a company called net credit and, and, um, uh, been there for three decades now. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're, a, a national, um, financial services company. Uh, and yeah, I don't know whole lot more to say about that it's it certainly consumes my my uh my time during the day and and um Mm -hmm. has been been fulfilling and rewarding for a lot of years and it's you know taken me on some great adventures uh as well you know so it's nice to have adventures outside of work and at work as well 30 years long time that's uh you must like it yeah absolutely it's uh it's like family for me you know it's uh most of the people that I work with, I've, I've known for, you know, 20, 30 years. So that's, you know, it's really important for me to have that connection. Yeah. That's, that's a rare thing these days. What, what's the job that you did in the past that maybe wasn't your favorite? Is there anything you did? Uh, oh. Go, oh, oh, I sense you're, you're sitting on, <laughs> you might be sitting on a couple over there. I've got a few, I've got a few and you know, they're all learning experiences. I, I took something out of everything. And well, I grew up on a farm, yeah. uh, family farm in Saskatchewan. It's, been in the family since 1904. Uh, my dad's still there. He's 80 years old and he, he, he says he's retired, but he still works quite a bit. My brother-in-law runs the farm. So there was lots of jobs on the farm that I hated, like picking rocks, um, was, was certainly not fun. And, but, you know, just kind of along my journey, there was, you know, there was a few, I worked, uh, in the oil patch for a while, uh, you know, and, and, uh, the money was good, but the environment conditions are certainly not great. Mm, fair. What's the, the, you're a perfect guy to ask this, and I don't ask this one every time, but the best fly fishing location you've been, you know, that you're willing to talk about, I don't want you to give away a secret spot, but like of these trips that you guys do every year, was Molokai kind of it for you or so far, or is there something else? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's freshest in mind, right? So that's usually, you know, that recency bias, you know, it's it, it it's super excited about it and, and they're all great and, um I years ago and so you know I've kind of my fly fishing journey is kind of I've taken breaks from it just because of you know where I was you know in my life and what was going on and and uh, always doing some sort of fishing whether it's lake or fly and um, 
early on, there was a spot up northeast of Edmonton. There's a little oil patch town called Swan Hills. And uh, I found this little honey hole for grayling. Um, and I didn't tell anybody about it. It was my spot and, and I, I probably couldn't get back there today if, if I tried, cause that was, you know, 25 years ago, but I, I would go out there every day. I'd finish my shift and I would head out there with my rod and I, it was guaranteed catch all the time. And wow. they weren't big, but they were, you know, they're, they're feisty little guys. And, and, uh, you know, I just, it was, it was great. It was a great, um, I guess, at the end of your day, a great way to, to unwind and just get a little fishing in. Have you had anything totally bizarre happen to you out there on the water? I mean, we all have our weird fishing stories, but is there anything that comes to mind that you went, man, you're not going to believe this, but this really did happen? Yeah, 100%. Um, this is about, let's say about 10 years ago. Uh, and we were on a camping trip, my wife and my son and my um, my wife's parents uh, and we camp and vacation together frequently. And so we were in um, the interior BC. Uh, it's, it's called Beaver Lake. And oh, yeah. beyond Beaver, yeah, there's there's uh, these chain lakes. It's, I think it's called D, yep. D chain lakes. And then there's a couple of lakes in there, Fly 1 and Fly 2. <clears throat> and we were fishing in a little 11-foot inflatable um, with just a little um, electric on the back. And I was fishing with my, fishing with my father-in-law and we were just kind of drifting through the um, the narrows between these these chain lakes, and uh, we hadn't ca- caught really anything out in the open water. And we started going through the narrows, and we was it was just game on. We were just getting strikes left and right, and uh, having a great time and having some laughs. And and we noticed there was a loon sitting floating on the water you know probably a couple hundred yards away and he was pretty interested in what we were doing you know he's he's seeing we're we're catching and there's a meal for him and and uh so my father-in-law hooked on to a big rainbow it was four maybe five pounds uh and the loon disappeared off the lake and so he's got this thing just about up to the boat and we can see it and he's just playing it out at the end and then we see the loon and the loon is chasing this thing through the water and i've never seen a bird move like that it was like watching a a a sea lion it was just so Mm. agile and so fast and so we managed to get it out of the water and and into the boat and so the loon just he he came up on the surface and just sat there and watched and so my father-in-law got the fish unhooked had it back in the water and was trying to, you know, just give it a little bit of a time to, to catch its, its breath. And, and it flipped out of his hand and it took off and that loon darted. He was after it. And we just thought it was the greatest thing. We thought there's no way that this loon is going to catch this fish. And sure enough, probably about 30 seconds later, the loon comes up with this four or five pound bow in his mouth and we were just flabbergasted, like, holy crap, can you believe this? He, there's no way he can eat it. No. Sure enough, he got it down. Is that right? It was That's something crazy. to see. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. It's funny you said that because I have noticed, and the loons get smart, right? A, a yeah. lot of places we go, they, they know the sound. If your reel goes or your rod tip bends, they know. It's game Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Uh, but I do find that 
usually they they're targeting those fish like under a pound you know what i mean because i, I can't yeah. imagine unless they're a giant loon i can't see him swallowing huge fish but that, that's a crazy story <laughs> yeah. I, i've been there man like, i can't tell you how many times i was fishing hathume lake one time this is in the 80s and uh i had a decent sized fish on but i didn't know the loon was on it all of a sudden it just took off like like a salmon and i'm just like what is going on and then sure as heck loon surfaced got the fish in his mouth and i'm pulling and as i pull his neck goes forward when i stop it goes back it's like it was a little tug of war briefly but uh he he won that one but, i was gonna uh, say who won that one well, he, he did he did i had another buddy too that was uh an osprey grabbed his fish from his line and flew off with it and he actually had to break his line off but <laughs> can you imagine really that? oh yeah yeah. Yeah. It's amazing the you know, when you're out there and I mean, you're, you're battling with nature for, for their lunch, you know, and for us, it's a, it's a sport or it's a hobby and, and for them it's, it's survival. And, yeah. you know, we've been fishing uh, off the coast of Vancouver Island and you're, you know, you're in competition with the bald eagles, Yeah, um, yeah. you know, and, Good point. and it's really, yeah, it's fun to watch them when they're coming in and you're, you're almost landing your, your fish and they're, they're right there and they're waiting. And, you know, we've, we've, you know, sometimes if we catch something small, we'll feed them and they'll, you'll throw it up in the air and they'll grab it right out of the air and, and, uh, and take off with it. Sometimes that's the only way they'll leave you alone, right? It's true. Yeah. Uh, one time we were, I've told this story before on the podcast, maybe a few years ago, but we, we were behind Kamloops and my buddy got a, uh, a smaller fish on and the loon grabbed it, but then a bald eagle started bombing the loon. <laughs> I was, I was literally crying. I was laughing so hard because <laughs> he didn't know what to do. It was like, man, you've got a battle Royale in, in, in front of your belly boat on a small walk-in lake. It was just like, I never seen anything like it, but the, the, hey. loon, the loon won that one too. Yeah, no kidding. That must have been something. Yeah, crazy stuff. So paint me a picture of your dream day. So it sounds to me like you had a few of these dream days, like um, every year. Next year, you're headed to Galveston to chase some reds. That sounds like a lot of fun. Um, you guys did Molokai this past year for bonefish. But it, if you were to create your own picture, Mark, um, paint one for us. Like, what does it look like? Yeah, I assume you're hanging them probably with these four guys, but... Um, Maybe not. Uh, what does that look yeah. like? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I think I've got two versions of that dream. And the one is the one you just mentioned. And it's just hanging out with those four guys. And, and we're just having laughs and we're catching fish. And it doesn't matter where it is or what we're doing. We're just, we're out there. And, and uh, even if we're not catching, you know, we always say we're going fishing. We're not going catching. And, you know, we've, we've been skunked on some trips and, and we still have fun. So, um, and, and that's, I look forward to that every year. You know, it's, it's one of those things where, where as soon as it's done, you're disappointed, but you're excited, you know, disappointed that trip's done, but you're excited for, for the next adventure. And, and then beyond that, it's, it's, uh, I love a quiet lake uh, where I'm out there on my V boat. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, it's, there's nobody around or very few people. The water's calm. You know, I, I could be, you know, trolling with a leech or chronomid fishing and it's just peaceful. And, you know, there's not enough peaceful moments in, in life. I think these days we're always so plugged in and so connected and mm -hmm. schedule so full that when you're out there, you, you don't have a schedule. You're on, you know, nature's schedule, you know, whether it be the weather or the fish and, and uh, I could do that 
all day long or, you know, V-boat's great or even just, you know, kind of trekking down a river and, and working my way down and looking for some, some little honey holes. Mm, that sounds pretty good. I know what you mean about that disconnect too. I think, I, I don't know if it's just me. It seems like we're busier and busier every year in our careers, in our day, day. I was talking to somebody just uh, before we jumped on this call and he said to me, I said, are you busy? He goes, you know what? I feel like I'm drinking out of a fire hose right now. <laughs> I'm like, that's, that's quotable. That's going to stick. Yeah. Yeah. But, that's an analogy I use all the time. And it's, and unfortunately it's, it's too true. Yeah. You know, it's, well, we, I, we all I, take on too much. I think that's a big reason why, why fly fishing uh, is such a, you know, it's a quiet space. Don't always have cell service, which is probably a good thing uh, a lot of the time, but uh, there's a reason why we, uh, seek out those uh kind of quiet spots you know I, hey man i really want to appreciate uh thank you for coming on the show i really appreciate your time it's been a pleasure chatting with you I, I you know what we should do i was just thinking as as you're telling that story is we should touch base with you after this uh redfish outing and uh kind of you could take us along on the journey you know what i mean tell us all about it when you get back yeah, absolutely. I'd love to, you know, maybe we can get uh, a couple of the other guys on uh, as well. Um, yeah. They have, they might have a different view on who caught the biggest or the most <laughs> or the first. The first is undisputable. Most and biggest, there's, there can be some, some debate about that. Well, it sounds like your, your crew's pretty uh, used to going on podcasts. So this, this could be just about perfect. Yeah, uh, they all are. They all run their own podcasts. So I'm sure they'd love to participate. When is this, um, when is this trip happening? Is that a winter thing? I, I know nothing about redfish. Yeah, so it's actually November of next year, so we've got a big gap between trips. Ah. Um, so actually, last trip, not this most recent one, so Molokai was in February, and the trip before that was in June, so we had a really small small gap. Um, and then uh, we can't make this November work, and, and kind of that October-November apparently is the best time for, for fishing in Galveston for redfish, so... Um, we're trusting what the guides, the locals are saying down there, and and so it'll be November of uh, 24. But I'm sure we'll we'll get a a couple of you know maybe less um, extravagant trips in between now and then. Yeah, no doubt. Do do you post any pics out there? Like, is there an Instagram account or a YouTube thing that you maybe post some of your pics that we can check out? Uh, I I haven't, um, but I can okay. certainly uh, share some with you if you want, and and uh, give you. A, yeah. Uh, a nice picture of a of a beautiful Molokai bonefish. Let's do that. You send me that. We'll use that to promote the show. Uh, thanks, Mark, so much for coming on. Uh, again, I appreciate your time, and I'll send you a link to the show. It'll be up uh, this Saturday. Awesome. Appreciate it. We've been chatting tonight with Mark Billard. Mark is out of Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Uh, he's doing his annual pilgrimage to somewhere beautiful to chase some fins. Thanks for joining us this time around, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, powered by theflycrate.com, your source for all things fly fishing. Wait for it films featuring fly fishing videos and camera related content, custom music from Damian Anderson, and by brokentippet.com.